Welcome to Food is Not a Four-Letter Word, the podcast where you ditch the diet drama, banish body shame, and reclaim your life, all while creating a body you love. When it comes to body drama, your host, Carmela Romalia, has been there, done that, has the t-shirt, and wrote the books. And now, here's Carmela. my friends. It's me, Carmela, from Happy Calories Don't Count. Welcome to episode number 26 of the Food is Not a Four-Letter Word podcast. So let's get this party started, shall we? Let's go with our three deep breaths to begin. Go ahead, take a deep breath in and exhale. Please play along. I know you want to. Deep breath in. Exhale. One more time, deep breath. And exhale all the air. Good job. Thank you so much for playing along. So for those of you who are new friends out here in podcast land, I do these three deep breaths at the beginning of every episode for a couple of reasons. One, not so little reason is to ground myself. <laughs> and I'll come back to that in a second. Uh, and to model for you how to ground yourself. Uh, just taking a beat, taking a breath is a very effective grounding technique. Uh, another reason is there is something magical about the breath of life and getting oxygen into your body. So many of us these days, you know, just are hunched over the computers or the screens or the cars or whatever. We're just not standing up straight. We're not breathing deeply. And our body needs that air. It needs that oxygen. And again, another reason is that taking this half a second to take a beat, take a breath, it gives you a moment to find grace. It gives you a moment to come back to your center, to come back to your source, so that whatever you're dealing with in the current moment, the next thought, the next action, the next word you speak, whatever it is, is coming from a place of authentic power and purpose rather than from a place of reaction. And this simple little thing is so important, it literally has the power to change your life. Now, Getting back to grounding me. <laughs> it's a very important thing to do uh, because this is actually, in full disclosure, the second take, the second time I'm trying to record this episode. Uh, generally, when I am doing an episode, I will see something in the culture, in media, in social media, a conversation overheard at the Pilates studio, something with a friend, uh, something or other that will spark um, uh, something in me that says, oh, I need to speak about this from a happy calories don't count perspective. Uh, and for this particular issue, it's something that I saw on the side of a bus. And to fully appreciate uh, what it is I'm trying to say, I'm trying to untangle all of these tangled tangles of tangles of layers of of perceptions, of perspectives, of experiences, of, of marketing, of the diet and exercise model, all of these things that sometimes I can untangle eloquently and sometimes I go down rambly rants. And I finally do get to the point. And in Oftentimes, it's a really good point. Uh, I'm actually still thinking about just uploading that other episode because the stuff that's in there that's good 
is really good. Uh, I just don't get to it as quickly or as cleanly as I would like to. So that said, if you are someone who wants, you know, tell me about happy calories don't count. Tell me about food is not a four-letter word. Tell me how to heal all of my pain, shame, drama, and dysfunction around food, exercise, my body, and my weight. Help me find freedom from food and create a body that I love. Get to that state of optimization. Uh, I would recommend the book. Food is not a four-letter word, the book. That will take you through a process. That takes you at the beginning. Um, it sets up what the whole book is about, my experiences, my journey, why this is an evolutionary framework. Is It's not revolutionary. It's evolutionary. We are evolving. It takes you through the five steps and then how to apply the steps uh, in day-to-day life. And I'm not just here, you know, like, hey, buy my book or whatever like that. I've got the steps, the five steps. I tell you everything you need to know in all of these podcasts in my YouTube channel. So if you're looking for content, if you're looking for information and you're on a budget, whatever, it's all free out here in the world. All I'm suggesting is that if you want it in a linear fashion, Food is not a four-letter word. The book is where you're going to find it. You're not going to find it here on the podcast. The podcasts are assuming, well, not necessarily assuming that you understand the five steps because uh, I take each episode and try to make it uh, applicable and relevant. And that's why sometimes I end up going down tangents. I realize, oh my goodness, I, I haven't said that yet this episode. So I should probably bring that in just in case someone hasn't heard this take yet. So with that, I'm going to stop my rambling. (laughs) Oh, I do need to do some other disclaimers that if you hear me go into character voices or you hear me sound snarky, uh, the snark is never directed towards you personally. I know the pain intimately, deeply. At 17, I was hospitalized for anorexia at 80 pounds. By 25, I've been in treatment four more times. And yet at 30, I was somehow 200 pounds and suicidal. Uh, I tried for years to shed the excess weight. I did the diets and the exercise programs. Uh, So not only did the diet and exercise model not work, it wasn't a sustainable route in terms of an eating disorder. But once I was at a healthy weight or even close to an obese weight, the diet and exercise model was not helping me lose the weight. So what I do here, what we do with Happy Calories Don't Count is we shift from a transaction-based model of diet and exercise to a relationship-based model of health and well-being. So I get this. This is all original content. And since I understand the pain so deeply, I have a lot of... um, umbrage and distaste and healthy disrespect for mindsets that will keep you stuck. And since I am passionate and Italian and fiery and an actress, I will sometimes go into character voices, but that is nothing. um, It is not intended to belittle your pain in any way. It is intended to call out mindsets that are contributing to your pain, things that we need to illuminate and heal so that you can find that freedom, so that you can feel good in your body and about your body, and you can reclaim your life and live the life that you want to live. So without any further ado, let me see if I can untangle this tangled tangle of tangles a little better this time. 
All right. So I was driving down the street the other day and a bus drove past me. And on the side of the bus, there was this bus sign. And it really, really annoyed me. Uh, And so that's what we're going to deconstruct now. And, uh, And I already mentioned my background. Yes, I have a lot a lot of experience with eating disorders. So yes, I can speak to this with authority. Uh, and and not only the experience with eating disorders, but the experience with marketing, the experience with advertising. I've run my own companies. And in addition to that, I'm an actress, as I mentioned. And so I've spent decades dissecting commercial copy to deliver it for the clients. And so if you're unfamiliar with all the psychological manipulation that goes on in marketing. Buckle your seatbelts, Buttercup. We're we're about to take off. So this sign that I saw on the side of the on the side of the bus says, "When anxiety and isolation amplify your eating disorder voice, and then you're supposed to call the number or go to the website to get help with this treatment center." Oh yeah. That that statement right there in the in the episode that I just decided was too long and rambly. It took me an hour. I was ranting for an hour about this about this ad. So first, we're going to talk about marketing and advertising a little bit. So marketing is not inherently a bad thing. You know, it, it's people who go into business they are filling a need. They see a need in the marketplace. There is a problem. And then they think that they have a solution to that problem. And so they are going to bring that solution to the marketplace. That's kind of where you get that idea of marketing. You're bringing it to, you're bringing it to market. But then you also have to describe your product, your good, your service, whatever it is, so that people understand the solution that you have to offer to their problem. So that's all good. There's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. That's all awesome, right? The thing is that, you know, over time, marketing and then specifically advertising has has come into this place about there are levels of how are we going to get the consumer's attention? Why are we going to to get them to buy this particular good or service over another. And so I've got some examples for you, and I'm hoping you can kind of see see where I'm going with this. So on one level, let's say there are a bunch of grocery stores. Around here, you've got QFC, you've got Safeway, you've got Town & Country, you've got Whole Foods, you've got Met Market, you've got all sorts of different grocery stores, right? And you wouldn't think that a grocery store would necessarily need to advertise because people need groceries. So so yeah, you will go to the grocery store to get your groceries. It's it's a thing. It's not something new that people don't understand. We all have this common problem, if you want to call it a problem that, you know, we need groceries so that we can cook our meals and we can eat. It's part of a human need, eating, right? So you go to the grocery store. Why would a grocery store need to market? Well, grocery stores are in competition with one another. Right. So you'll get the little flyer that th- at this particular store, they've got, you know, produce or they've got their sirloin steaks or they've got whatever they have at this particular sale price this week. So maybe you'll go to that grocery store because the prices are better. 
Or you'll see uh, an ad, whether it's a billboard or whether it's on TV, about these beautiful ripe tomatoes with the light just right and the, and the water just barely dripping off the skin of the tomato. And it looks so delicious and so appetizing. And you want to come to this grocery store because they have such wonderful produce. That's why you would come to this grocery store rather than the other grocery store. And right there, I'll get, I'll, I, I would say that that is fair. You know, that's legitimate. You're you're expressing how you differentiate yourself in the marketplace. You're trying to get customers because, you know, the businesses are on competition. They need to have customers in order to stay in business. It's all good. It all makes sense, right? Then we start to get into the next little level of product differentiation and, and marketing that starts to play a little bit more on the psyche. So back in the day when I was growing up, there was Skippy and Jif, and those were the two big competitors of peanut butter. And there was this idea that choosy mothers choose Jif. You know, think about that. Choosy mothers choose Jif. So I'm going to be a choosy mother. I want to be a good mother. That starts to speak to my character. It starts to speak about how I, I care for my family, right? They're starting to plant these ideas into your head that if you want to be a good mother, you're going to choose the Jif peanut butter, right? So can you see how there's there's that next level of encroachment into your mental space, into your psyche, pushing your emotional buttons, you know, playing a little bit of psychological warfare, maybe, you know, on you because they're trying to, to play to your psyche and play to your emotions to get you to buy this peanut butter. That's the next level, okay? Now we have these things where it's Hey, do you have this symptom? Do you have a headache? Do you have a rash? Do you have do you itch? Do you have um a shaky leg? Well, maybe you have XYZ and this pharmaceutical uh product can help. Ask your doctor if this is right for you. So, before before when we were just thinking in terms of going to a grocery store, which grocery store has the fresher produce, which grocery store has the best prices, then it starts to get into, well, yeah, we still want to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for our kids, but you're going to be a better mother. You're going to be a, a morally superior mother. You're going to be a mother that cares more for your family if you choose this particular peanut butter. Well, now we're getting into advertising that is just kind of suggesting that you have a problem that you didn't even think that you had, right? So it, it, it is very broad in scope and it will say, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? And it'll start to plant ideas in your head that maybe you have a condition. Wow, I didn't know that I had this condition. Oh, I have this condition. This condition must be bad. I must do something about this condition. Oh, this medication can help this condition that I didn't know that I had. And then maybe I should ask my doctor for help. And so now the medical profession, all of these doctors are getting inundated with these patients that think that they have all these problems and that maybe they need to be treated with with these drugs. And then also, you know, notwithstanding the internet, where we're, we're all going to go ask Dr. Google, right? So advertisers have shifted into 
psychological warfare, essentially, uh, to put it bluntly, to to sell their products and services. Uh, not everybody, you know, just certain industries and and not even everybody in certain industries. And so, again, this is not... This, is in, this isn't to say marketing's bad. It's not to say that advertising is necessarily bad. It's just drawing your attention to, to how you are, how you are um, the potential, the potential for psychological and emotional manip- manipulation based on the advertising. And the advertising on this particular bus, and that's what this this podcast is about, I'm t- trying to deconstruct that, is just words. It was just words. When anxiety and isolation amplify your eating disorder voice. And I don't know how long this episode is going to be, but I'm taking this thing to task, and it is just words. Think about all of the ads that you see, whether it's in a magazine or a social media boosted post, or whether it is a television commercial or a billboard that have the images. And they are probably the professionally photographed images that have been constructed. They have been thought about. They have been cast. There is an art director. There is, you know, the hair and makeup artist. They've also been digitally retouched. And the entire purpose of that image is to create an emotional response in you or to put an idea in your head to go along with the product or service that this company is trying to promote. And I even remember that last year we had a little scuffle, not really a scuffle, more of a discussion on my Facebook page because I was seeing all of these uh, images getting shared and and spread around social media that I thought were uh, deceptive in terms of what they were trying to suggest. And so last year in my feed, there was a big um, discussion about equality and equity. And there were different types of images that would be associated with the posts. And I remember seeing two images side by side and uh, they both said, you know, like this is the before picture and this is what people call equality in the before picture. And now we're going to show you the after picture. And we're going to show you what we call equity in the after picture. But if you looked at the two pictures side by side, one was demonstrating equity of opportunity. And the other one was trying to suggest equity of outcome. And those are two very, very different things. They're two very different concepts, except they were both using the same word to describe different concepts as suggested by the picture. So this stuff is everywhere and it runs deep. So all I'm gonna talk about is something with words and see how much I can get out out of deconstructing this sign just with the words, then amplify that to all the other marketing messages you're going to see that have images or maybe even a video, um, maybe even music behind it and everything that's going on to create a mood. All right. So that's the first thing we're dealing with. All right. So let's break down. Let's break down these words. When anxiety and isolation amplify your eating disorder voice. So first, they're suggesting, hey, do you feel anxious? Do you feel isolated? Well, let's see. It's 2022. We've been in a pandemic for the last two years. 
You know, I'm not really sure where you are in the world or what you're necessarily experiencing. But what I've been seeing is I've been locked down twice. Uh, The the Pilates studio where I teach, uh, we were locked down twice uh, for extended periods of time. Everyone around here is still wearing masks. Um, There is a vax mandate, a mask mandate. People are pushing against them. It is causing a lot of friction among friends and family members, you know, of of all people that I speak with, you know, so it's not just my particular friends and family, although that is true. But everyone I know is dealing with this kind of thing because um, what is happening is is a big deal. You know, there's there's kind of this erosion of trust with the government, the erosion of trust in the the information we're getting from different governmental or health agencies, erosion of trust with our fellow citizens. So that's creating a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. This is something that we are all experiencing. We are all stressed out. We all, we are all having this anxiety and this isolation simply by virtue of the pandemic. And what this advertising message is doing is it's leveraging what's going on like right now that is common. It's a common experience and it would be normal normal to feel anxious, normal to feel isolated. It's something that we are all experiencing, and it's tying that to uh, to something that is a pain point that is picking at someone to say, hey, is this you? Is this you? Is this amplifying your eating disorder voice? So I haven't even gotten to the eating disorder voice part yet, but what I'm trying to draw your attention to is how this ad is using something that we're all experiencing as a way to kind of target and maybe emotionally manipulate. Now, here's the weird thing, because advertisers, by definition, in how they try to create copy these days, um, it's, it is about, it's 99.9% about pushing that pain point, you know, trying to push and emotionally manipulate your person, which is really ironic if you're actually trying to create healing and transformation. You know, you're trying to heal that eating disorder. So I have my own little issues with that, right? Uh, But the idea is that something that is a normal thing that we all experience is somehow uniquely positioned in this ad to target people to get them to call this hotline. So now we're going to talk about this thing called this eating disorder voice? What's an eating disorder voice? I had the eating disorder from hell. I was hospitalized five times. I don't know that there's such a thing as an eating disorder voice. So you know that thing where I was speaking about earlier, how, you know, the advertisers will say, well, hey, do you have this? Do you have this? Well, maybe you have this other thing. Maybe you should ask your doctor about it. You know, there's this thing in marketing where you can just claim something is true or make some make some statement or define some condition or create some some concept through your words that then by marketing by virtue of the marketing somehow makes it true like there's this eating disorder voice yeah 
I call BS on that. There's no such thing as an eating disorder voice. You know what kind of voices there are? There are plenty of voices that say that you're not good enough, that you um, are undeserving, that you are unworthy, that there's something wrong with you, that you should be ashamed, that you're bad, that you don't fit in, that you're an imposter, that nobody likes you. There are all sorts of voices like that. I, and those are voices that the personal development uh, discipline seeks to transform and heal. The, those are the types of voices that therapy strives to heal. And, and those are voices that are common. Again, with this anxiety and isolation, it's a normal thing to experience given what we've gone through with for the last two years. This these voices that they're trying to identify as an eating disorder voice, I call BS on that. There's no such thing as an eating disorder voice. The things that that are causing the anxiety and causing the lack of self-esteem, those are the types of things that everyone has to deal with, especially like that thing, the imposter syndrome that I mentioned. I know so many different types of people from so many different types of industries, and Many of them have confessed that, hey, you know, sometimes I just got to fake it till I make it. You know, I don't really, you know, I'm going along and I'm like, dude, you're the CEO of a company. How can you feel like you're an imposter? You know, or another friend of mine, like, you're gorgeous. You're on the cover of a magazine. Why, why would you feel like you're an imposter? So these types of feelings that we have, we have individually, but everybody has them. Right. There, so to have them does not mean that there's something wrong with you. So what they've done is they've they've used this idea of an eating disorder voice to somehow claim that there is a thing that I claim does not exist to then and, and combining that with the anxiety of the isolation that we are experiencing as a result of the pandemic to have someone call call this number. Now, to get to the eating disorder piece, because eating disorders are real things that need to be healed and need to be transformed. Uh, but I got to tell you, in my experience, the eating disorder treatment centers do not know how to do it. Um, and based on that ad that I saw, that shows me again that they don't know how to do it. Because what's going to happen, uh, in my in my estimation, this is my guess, that this would be the path that would happen. Somebody would see this sign and say, oh, anxiety and isolation amplifies this eating disorder voice. Okay, well, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling isolated, and I've been really stressed out about my body lately. I've been really stressed out about the weight gain, or I've been really stressed out about um, binging, or I've been really stressed out about not being able to work out, or I, uh, um, uh, the craziness in my head that I feel about food has really gone off the deep end. Now, those are all things that are legitimate things that people can have around food. And I can deal with them in a separate way with the happy calories don't count approach. But we're just going to go back to this eating disorder voice thing here for a second. So what will happen is this person will say, hey, I've got anxiety and isolation. Oh, I must have an eating disorder voice. Those are the voices in my head. I must, I must have an eating disorder. So then they're going to call this treatment center and they're going to go to the treatment center and do whatever the program is. But based on what I have seen 
in social media, <laughs> along, you know, in all the little things about, ooh, being in recovery or ooh, this or ooh, that, what happens is that in the treatment center, and this has also been my experience, they never heal you from the eating disorder. What they do is they say, oh, well, let's have your mommy issues and your daddy issues and your self-esteem issues and let's list them all out and let's heal them and let's transform them and let's give you skills and tools so that you can be a productive person. But while they're in treatment, you know, they're, they still have to deal with the food. It's not like drug or alcohol addiction where you can theoretically and legitimately go through the rest of your life cutting drugs and alcohol completely out of your life. You can go through life happy, vibrant, engaged, meaningful, joyful, all that good stuff, and never touch another drug or drop of alcohol again. But you can't do that with the food. You got to eat to live. And you have to develop a relationship with yourself, with your body, and with food. But what happens in the transaction-based world of diet and exercise in which the eating disorder treatment centers still fundamentally operate is that the idea is that, well, if we heal all of these other anxious things, then you'll just be able to, quote unquote, stay on your diet correctly, only they're never actually going to call it a diet because a diet is a four-letter word. Uh, but what they would do is it's some sort of meal plan or it's some sort of way of eating or it's some sort of program. And there's a list a mile long of all the euphemisms they want to say, but at the end of the day, a spade is a spade. It is a diet. It's, it's a way of eating. It's an external authority. It's whether it's an external program coming from the doctors or coming from the dietitian or coming from the latest research that you've read about, you know, nutrition or whatever. It's this external authority telling you what to do rather than trusting the wisdom and guidance of your body. So to heal an eating disorder is a very simple thing to do. Now, I said it was simple. I didn't say it was easy. And I do have an earlier podcast episode specifically about eating disorders. But essentially what it is, is you an eating disorder is a maladaptive coping device to deal with all of the drama and trauma of life. You know, life is hard. We all have to deal with life. We all have our ups and downs. And some of us have better skills at coping with life than others of us. And we all have those voices of you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're bad. You're wrong. There's something wrong with you. People don't like you. You don't fit in. Uh, what Whatever the negative voice, disempowering voice in your head is, everybody's got them. And those, that's the opportunity for healing. Now, what happens is that in some people, in some segments of the population, those voices lead to destructive patterns, lead to destructive ways of coping, lead to ways that um, result in self-harm. Now, what the eating disorder people do is they tie the self-harm of the food to the behavior. And that's why they call it an eating disorder. And somehow, if you magically heal all of your mommy issues and your daddy issues, they still don't know what to do with the food piece. That's, that's where they fall short. So how to actually heal an eating disorder is that 
if you have those issues, the lack of self-esteem, the uh, emotional abuse or the physical abuse as a child, you know, whatever it is, the, the trauma, traumatic family of origin, or even experiences in your teens or early 20s, what, whatever your thing is, it does need to be healed. And it probably needs professional therapy or professional psychiatry to be able to heal that thing so that you wouldn't want to act out in a maladaptive way, right? You want to be able to move forward from a place of compassion for yourself, empowerment, uh, from a place of self-respect and from self-honor, all of those good things. Once you've done that, or even as you're doing that, you don't even need to do You need to do that, um, but you don't even need to do that to be healed from the eating disorder. So I don't know how familiar you might be in your particular situation, you know, with, with the idea of the transference of disorders. So someone might have a problem with alcohol. Well, they clean the alcohol up. Then it's the problem with drugs. Well, they clean the drugs and the alcohol up. Then it becomes the problem with the sugar. Well, they clean the drugs and the alcohol and the sugar up. And then it becomes the problem with the shopping or the gambling or the sex or the whatever, the what, whatever the coping device is. So those psychological, emotional things, those, those um, dynamics, those feelings, those voices, those do need to be healed, but those alone are not going to solve you or rid you of the stress, pain, shame, and anxiety around food, exercise, your body, and your weight, right? Because there are plenty of women out there who have the stress, anxiety, and drama of food and exercise without being clinically diagnosed as having an eating disorder. I don't remember the last time I don't remember what the stats were, but I th- it was something you can fact check me on this. I mean, I don't I'm not claiming to know the facts, but it it was something like, I don't know, 11, 16% of women are diagnosed with an eating disorder, which is pretty high. Um I I'm again, I don't know what the number is, but it's a number like that. Well, out of the body image movement in Australia, they claim that 98% of women hate their bodies, that they have some sort of anxiety and body image issue. So the difference between 98% and 16% or whatever that number is, that's a whole lot of people, right? So you don't need to have been clinically diagnosed as having an eating disorder to have the... the, the feelings and the fear and the stress and the anxiety around the food that someone who has been diagnosed as an eating disorder has. So you've got to heal the mommy and daddy issues. You've got to heal your self-esteem issues. You've got to heal all of that. But you also have to heal all of the stuff that is going on with the food and exercise piece. And that gets healed when you recognize that, yes, You are absolutely responsible for what you eat. And yes, you are absolutely responsible for what you do for exercise. But the fact that you are responsible for what you eat and responsible for what you do for exercise does not mean that you can therefore control your body's shape and size through diet and exercise. That is the fallacy. That is the fallacy of the diet and exercise model 
that is the fallacy that keeps you stuck. The diet and exercise model is a transaction-based model. It says that calories are a currency of exchange and that you have to pay a price to eat. The price is exercise or weight gain. And so you get into all of these dysfunctional ideas and behaviors because you were trying to live according to that balance sheet, because you were trying to disconnect from the wisdom of your body override your body's natural instincts. That is such an unnatural thing to do that it literally makes you crazy, right? So you need to connect with your body, follow a relationship-based model because it's really not about the food. It's about your body. Your body knows how to create an optimized state of health, vitality, well-being, beauty, and joy, and it is guiding you in that direction all the time. So when I look at something like, oh, anxiety and isolation amplify your eating disorder voice, I just get so angry because I'm looking at this both of as as the person who has had the eating disorder from hell, has been through the treatment, the conventional, traditional ways, um, the years of therapy, no one was able to, to identify the true cause or really facilitate healing and transformation. I had to literally go to hell and back. I mean, I, I was almost dying to be able to come back and 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 approach life from a different perspective, which is essentially how this all came to be. So I know what you're up against and then the marketing and then the marketing on top of that, because you know what? An eating disorder program has to market. They they have to have customers. An eating disorder program doesn't have a business if there aren't people that have eating disorders. And you know what? Maybe they need to teach people that they have eating disorders and make them think that they have eating disorders so that then maybe they can have their customers. And that's the thing that sticks in my craw. Oh, yeah. I told you, I'm Italian. I'll get feisty. I will get fiery. So I want to kind of wrap this up with one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite TV shows. It's called The OA. It's on Netflix. It's awesome. I love it. Um, And it's got some really, really um, thought-provoking themes and thought-provoking quotes in it. And so this one I love. It says, it's not really a measure of mental health to be well-adjusted in a society that's very sick. And our society is very sick right now. It's, it's very sick with all of, all of the manipulative marketing that you're seeing all the time. It's very sick with the erosion of the social fabric that's happening because of because of the pandemic. Um, and I'm not saying that it's anybody's specific fault. You know, uh, it's that because we have not been treating each other as human beings, because we have allowed fear to run rampant and and divide us into us versus them and all of the the media uh, that's been fueling these fires and all of this, our society is very sick. So it's not really a measure of mental health to be well-adjusted in such a society. So I, I find that very thought-provoking and very profound. Um, so I offer it to you to use as you will. Um, the other quote that I really love, and this speaks to the challenge that I face in trying to facilitate your healing and transformation with the principles of happy calories don't count. Uh, because getting out of diet drama land is tough. You know, marketing 
all around. Like most of these episodes on this podcast are about how difficult it is to get out of diet trauma land and, and different things that you can do to try to help yourself get out of diet drama land. Uh, it's literally like being in the movie The Matrix, you know? Uh, and so it, it's, it can be challenging to pull you out if you have, if you don't have a frame of reference. And as I alluded to earlier, I, I know this because I've lived it in my bones. And so I can speak to it with authority. I know what I am speaking is truth. I know what I speak of works. And as you're making that transition, it can it can be challenging. It's like, oh, do I, I get it conceptually? But oh, no, I'm still acting out of default habit. Oh, how does this work? And so this is the other quote that I really, really love. And it says, knowledge is a rumor until it lives in the body. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that someday all of this knowledge, all of this stuff I am imparting to you will no longer be a rumor, that it will actually become knowledge because it will live in your body. So I hope that you have a super, super happy day, and I will talk to you later. Take care. Bye. If you enjoyed this program, help it out. Give it a like, subscribe, follow, share. You know the drill. If you want to learn more about me, my books, programs, and services, visit my website, carmelaramalia.com. And don't worry, if you can't spell my name, you can also always find me at happycalories.com. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>